Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Coming up in this week's work experience show, we've got a selection of worky horror stories, survival strategies, and insider advice from students and experts in the studio. Plus, we count down the best of your work experience tips from Twitter, and dear Julian has his say on placement faux pas. But first, as ever, we've got a roundup of the news. Ali White and Eliza Anyangwe are here to share their picks of this week's careers, headlines and blogs. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Eliza, can you start us off with your story? Sure. So I found this story in the magazine Design Week and it was a Vox Pop asking for advice from various professionals and um, established designers. Um, And the question was, what can be done about the high unemployment rates for graduate designers? Now, the situation is that a third of graduate designers are unemployed and have been for about three years. And so we have some tips from some of the most pioneering um, individuals or really credible organisations. And they They suggest things such as students have been done a disservice by university and you should be more proactive. So you should send out an inquiring email, send out a letter or a phone call asking about an internship even before you've left. Another interesting suggestion from um, Greg Quinton, who's a creative partner at an organization or a firm called The Partners. He says you have to replicate industry standards. So stop watching TV, get off the Internet, stop reading the same blogs and soaking up the same influences Try and be unique and creative. He says to collaborate. If there's no studio space um, at university, get together somewhere with some friends and make some interesting work. And he says to love what you do because um, a passion always pushes you to work harder and that work turns into success. Yeah, there's definitely some tips that would apply to graduates and other sectors there as well. Absolutely. Good find. Um, Okay, my story is a blog that asks what role should universities play in the after careers of their students now this was a question posed by the academic and blogger Tamsin Peach on the Guardian's Higher Education Network it might seem like a current issue but it's not as new a question as you might think faced with a very similar set of circumstances it was also something that occupied British universities at the start of the 20th century so I think back to kind of like the ancient times of university, (laughs) you know, early 1800s, they were originally home for sort of the the really wealthy male elite. And the aim of going to university was kind of shape your gentlemanly character. And then in the 19th century, it kind of developed and it was seen as a place for training for those who were going to be members of the clergy or lawyers or doctors, maybe schoolmasters and civil servants as well. But then as kind of the Industrial Revolution sort of kicked in and there were dramatic technological changes, trade and industry became really much more powerful in society and the economy. And so university graduates started to aspire to careers in business. However, the industrial manufacturing firms were a little bit sceptical of the potential of these graduates. You know, they didn't see them as, as being right for their business and they preferred to just recruit people straight from school and kind of mould and shape them into the employees that they really wanted. Um, That might ring a few bells with the school leaver schemes that are kind of circulating at the moment. But to bridge the gap, what universities did was set up appointment committees, which are kind of like the forerunners of today's career services. But within the universities, these career services, or the appointment committees, as they were once known, were met with the kind of opposition that you might see in universities today, 
where the academy was kind of questioning what the role of higher education was. Was it to kind of shape your gentlemanly character, as they put it, or was it to prepare you for the job market? So a lot of parallels in the discussion. Um, and I thought it was just really interesting sort of trace the history of career services and and where universities started responding to the needs of the economy and society. Ali? Sounds good. Um, right, I've got a blog from Alexandra Hemingway, who is a careers advisor at the Ooh. University of Surrey, and it's all about CV bloopers. And, you know, as you expect, it's the commonest problem is poor grammar and spelling. But it's not just a case of spell checking your CV, because it's, sometimes it's just the tiny errors that have, the, you know, the biggest impact on the overall impression. So she's got some really good examples here. Basically, one candidate spelt their name wrong. She was sure it was an error because the person had stated their name twice on the document and it wasn't spelt the same both times. <laughs> highlights she's also seen, or highlights in inverted commas, include mentioning their kids' GCSE results, star signs, <laughs> physical descriptions as part of an introductory <laughs> personal statement, putting in as much information about a spouse as the candidate, and a couple of people that just stick out for putting incredible cringeworthy detail about why their past jobs were just so disastrous. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and another big no-no is um, dodgy email addresses when you're just sending out your details. She's seen one with shaking my booty in it. <laughs> <laughs> not bad if you're not my target own. jobs an exotic dancer. <laughs> <laughs> There's also been fluffy bunny at or hot chick 99 at. Not very good. But my favourite faux pas of her blog was um, it was a recruiter in a top law firm who'd shared it and the person had written, as you can see, I've studied both law and business and the decision to choose between has been, for me, a hard-on. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Ali, I say. I know, it's a little early. Yeah. I check it out, I've read the, like, you know, most of it out, but there are some other gems in there. <laughs> But she has got some serious points as well. Here, is pointing out the bad bits. <laughs> but she said, select details you want to include carefully, according to the to their usefulness and the interest to the reader. And then ask yourself how each item relates to the requirements of the new role. If you can't come up with a, an answer to that, it probably doesn't need to feature. Thanks very much. Now, our agony uncle Julian Lindy has some thoughts on turning a placement into a paid job. You always remember really good work experience people, even the ones that I haven't seen for sort of 10 or 15 years. I always remember the good ones because they impress me in the following ways. Yes, I can do that attitude, you know, always asking, is there something I can do? How can I help? The ones who I suppose have got an air of confidence about them, but without being arrogant. The last thing that you an employer wants really is to have to babysit a work experience so people who've got enough confidence to work on their initiative but at the same time are not passive and don't just sit there and only do what they're asked to do and I suppose the third thing is people who show me that they've got a natural flair for the job that they're doing work experience for I can remember a long time ago when I worked at Sugar Magazine and there was a work experience there who was 16. We, you know, these days it's very rare that you find work experience that young in the workplace. But um, she massively impressed me because every morning she came in, she would start a conversation about what had been on TV the night before or had I heard that record or something that was absolutely the essence, the heartbeat of my job, what I did. 
she understood the culture really, really well. And she was brave enough, I suppose, to start those conversations. I'm sure that there have been many talented and fantastic work experience people that I've encountered over the years. But the crucial thing is, I don't remember a lot of them. And I don't remember a lot of them for the reason that they never engaged me. They never showed me how good they were. The reality is you've got a week, two weeks, if you're lucky, a month to make an impact. It's a brilliant window to show someone how good you are and how brilliant you are and how switched on you are. So don't waste it. You want to make sure that you leave an imprint so that the next time a job comes up or someone goes on holiday and they need some holiday cover, what usually happens is someone will go, oh God, do you remember that brilliant worky that we had in? Give them a call and see if they're free to come back. And I'd say 90% of the time, that's how people really get their first foot on the ladder. That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Now, there's been a common theme running through the graduate-flavoured news stories of late, that in the job market, work experience reigns supreme. Recent surveys have suggested that employers value experience over qualifications, and this week the University of Lincoln found that nearly a quarter of graduates who have secured a job did so through an internship or work experience. But, enough blathering about stats, we know that you don't need further confirmation that work experience is essential to landing a graduate job. So how about some work experience horror stories, survival strategies and insider advice instead? We're joined now by a host of guests that know their stuff about work placements. Welcome to Steph Lever, English undergrad, budding publishing professional and author of Diary of a Publishing Intern blog. She's done nine placements in the last year. Pretty formidable. We've also got Mardi Sarif, who is on an industrial placement with Ernst & Young as part of a degree at Warwick University. And Chris Ree, employer business manager at the National Council for Work Experience, which is part of Graduate Prospects. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thanks Hello. for coming Hello. in. Let's start off with you, Steph, because you've spent the past year doing nine placements. I mean, that's epic. Um, tell us about where you've been doing them and what you've been up to. Um, I basically, I started off about a year and a half ago now. And I started off in book publishing, so I've been to all the sorts of large companies such as Random House, Hachette and HarperCollins. I've been to smaller companies as well, such as The Little Tiger Press and John Blake, and of course a few more. Um, And I've basically been exploring the different areas of placements that they offer. So I've been to digital marketing and marketing, um, publicity and editorial. I think the only department I haven't been in is sales. So um, I've just been exploring those sorts of areas, getting a feel about what I actually want to go into when I graduate. Um, This summer I've been doing some journalism placements. So um, my first one was at London Confidential, which is an online magazine. So I've been doing reviews and features for that. Um, I've also now, I've been part of um, Coco Couture, which is a New York-based online magazine. Um, and I'm actually getting my own column there, which That's is going to be, yeah, it's going to be something along the lines of Steph's take on living and loving, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've also written my own blog, so self-published. Um, and that blog is just aimed at students and graduates, really. Anyone who's sort of a beginner and wants to get their foot in the door with publishing. I'm just trying to help them, really, because I've learned a lot over the past year and a bit. So I'm trying to help other people now. So from all of that 
range of stuff that you've done, has it given you a really good steer on what you want to do in your future? I definitely think so. It's definitely helped because I've I've learnt so much. I've learnt about what I like and what I haven't liked. For instance, going into book publishing, I thought I wanted to do sort of editorial and came out thinking, no, I'd like to do something more with publicity. So, I mean, I'm still kind of undecided because I really love journalism and I really love writing and then I really love reading and I really love publicity at the same time. So I'm still very much undecided, but it has it has given me some sort of view on what I would possibly like to do when I graduate. Chris, do you think that's quite a common thing with work experience? People kind of have this idea of what they want to do and the exposure that you get to a company or a different department will kind of derail you, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah certainly in a good way. Um, although sometimes in a bad way too, because it can mm. sort of destroy your ambitions and ideas about what you thought you were, you were going to go into eventually. But um, certainly, um, I mean, from my experience uh, and what Steph's saying about the publishing industry, I don't think she's alone, and I certainly thought this uh, publishing initially was about editorial, it was about books, it was about writing, and, and my understanding of, edi- of uh, publishing changed enormously the more I got into it. Um, and I think that's certainly an industry and a business area where you can really sort of go into different directions, um, equally interesting ones, and a lot of people have gone from the editorial side into marketing, into PR, etc. Um, so that's a great example of, of just how fertile work experience can be. What about you, Marty? What are you doing with Ernst & Young? Tell us a bit about your placement. Um, so I started initially in the forensics practice, so I did fraud investigation uh, for my first year, uh, which entailed all sorts, uh, from bank investigations to business intelligence work, so a huge, huge variety. And following on from that year, I kind of sat down with people from all around the business, because from a student's perspective, you often go to all these careers presentations and employer presentations, and it's quite hard to understand exactly what everyone does. So throughout my year, I've sat down with people from different areas of the business and found out a bit more. And since then, I've moved into merchant acquisition, so corporate finance. Um, so I think the same kind of message as Steph was saying is that you really do have an understanding of much better. You're much more educated in the way that you can kind of think about where you want to go, what kind of areas you want to be. And you've got some background to it as well, which is really great. How did you get on this placement? Was it something facilitated through university? Tell us a bit about that process. So there's a couple of hurdles you've got to get past. So you start off with uh, an online application and then you often have numeracy tests and verbal reasoning tests online. And then following on from that, you often have telephone interviews. And if you pass that, then you have a first round interview. And then if you pass that, then you have an <coughs> assessment centre. And then if you, if you pass all of that, uh, the assessment centre has all sorts of presentation skills to working in a team, to organisation skills. And then if you finally pass that, then you have a partner interview. And then you finally find out if you get a job offer. Oh, it's, it, well, the, in, the inter- internship offer. Well done, you. That is, <laughs> that is an impressive set of hurdles. That's amazing. I mean, Chris, what do you kind of think about sandwich placements? I mean, they're kind of climbing the radar again now, sort of in higher education, that some universities are thinking of bringing them back into the curriculum to, you know, reach their employability yeah. quotas. Do you think that's a good way to expose yourself to the workplace? It's very different to what it's, Steph's done. It's very different, but it's, um, I mean... Both both approaches are, have got great virtues, and I think for the large organisations, um, what's just been described in terms of the process and the application process, it's actually like getting a full time job, um, and there's there's no accident in that because uh, firms like um, Ernst and Young and, and many of the larger recruiters do take a significant number of um, full time graduate recruits from their intern pool, if you like. And a piece of research that Prospects did earlier this year, Real Prospects, which was surveying graduates in employment, but more than 20% of the graduates that we talked to 
were actually working for a firm that they'd worked at, at as a student. Um, so it's quite clearly there's a, a lot of um, virtues in that for the recruiter in terms of known quantity and training people into the, com- the company ethos as much as anything else, as well as the skills um, and the, the sort of type of work they're going to be doing. Uh, and for the, the intern themselves, you know, to, to actually have a dry run, if you like, at, at a firm um, before you actually finish university is a terrific opportunity. Steph, tell us a bit about your approach to securing work experience. You must have tried so many different methods of uh, getting yourself a placement. I know you've blogged about this as well. Yeah, I mean, it was really different, the process, because I mean, in publishing, if you think of books, newspapers and magazines, you don't really find a sort of a 12-month placement that you can do. Um, so it's completely different and it was all completely like new to me so really I guess on there's two different levels to this there's a sort of the do's and I think research and preparation that's always going to help you definitely to start with and then the sort of the characteristics of those do's I mean you've got to be persistent so every day I remember I was I was going onto Google every day typing in different variations of work experience in publishing and I was literally going through every single page trying to find some kind of vacancy space and then also just patience because I mean a lot of people do say to me I've been applying and I have no responses and I mean that's that is the general answer that you don't get really many responses at all but it's the times when you do get the responses that you just need to act on them really quickly. Well I want to ask you both Marty and Steph what were the biggest lessons that you learned when you were on placement about kind of working life and making the most of those opportunities? I think being proactive throughout the time, because once you've actually gone through all those hurdles to finally get there, it's really important that you actually make the best use of that time. And especially like an organisation like EY, organization like EY you're sat in front of people who are industry leaders in their relative fields, and there's a whole breadth of kind of the different areas they work in. There's so much to learn. It's really making use of those opportunities. What about you, Steph? Biggest lessons learned and your epic journey on the placement scene? <laughs> well, what I've found, um, specifically through publishing, but I'm sure this counts for all industries, that speed is really essential. Um, for example, I got an email last year from an employer who was offering me a um, placement I replied I think within an hour to the email only to be told that someone else had already accepted wow so really speed is really essential um but as well it it just takes hard work and discipline to do it like you have to really want to get a placement so you have to be you know looking for stuff every single day you know trying to get yourself out there really now we talked a lot about what students have got to do you know, to, to offer an employer and to get the most out of the placement. But, Chris, what should work experience placements be offering students and graduates? Because they should be getting a lot out of it, which they clearly are. But what do you think sort of would be a checklist to make sure that you, you get out of your time with the business? Absolutely. I th- well, I mean, the, re- the recruiter has a responsibility, clearly, because they're employing somebody. I mean, it, it's whether it's for a sandwich course, whether it's for six weeks, etc. But you should expect terms and conditions, you should expect a contract, you should expect... Um, clear statement of responsibilities um, and all the formal structural stuff has to be in place. But I think on top of that, you um, should expect enthusiasm from the recruiter, from the not only the, say, the graduate team that recruits you, but the line manager that's going to be responsible for you or the mentor who's assigned to you. This is what makes a really good work experience if the student themselves is proactive and takes advantage of that. It really is a two-way, a two-way thing, obviously. 
Um, and I think that's the minimum we should expect as a student, that the recruiter takes you seriously, they've got something for you to do. This sounds like common sense and obvious, but um, you can probably find many instances where there have been unhappy work experiences, um, where students have probably not really known what they're supposed to be doing there, and actually neither does the recruiter except they feel they should be offering work experience. And you should also expect the, the people you're working with to be welcoming, enthusiastic, to understand what you're there for, and all of those things, um, which isn't much to expect. All right, just to finish off, I want you both to share with me your most memorable work experience moment. So it might have some advice in it. Or you've been to Florida recently, haven't you, Marty? That's jet-setting all over the place. <laughs> Tell me about your kind of highlight. Um, so the, the Florida conference was definitely my highlight for beat. me. So essentially it was part of a wider, um, firm-wide initiative called the International Leadership Conference. So essentially we got flown out to Florida and there's about five people from London but there's another 350 from all across the globe, um, internationally from everywhere, from Mumbai to Perth to Moscow, and then another 1,600 US interns. So essentially we got uh, taken out there and had presentations by from the CEO and a lot of the senior global heads, which is really good to see where the firm that you're really passionate about is actually going in the future and the kind of fundamentals behind it all. So that was really interesting. And one of their big focuses was actually just you interacting with the other interns. So we spent a day out in Universal Studios, got taken out to Disney World. We were staying in the Coronado Springs Resort. It was brilliant. And so they're really, they're really investing a lot of time and effort and money into you. Um, what about you, Steph? Most memorable moment? Yeah, for me it's a bit smaller than that. Um, basically, I mean, I've got loads of memorable moments, but I think my number one must be when I was first published, and that was with London Confidential just because that was kind of like a stepping stone. I'd I'd been published before in, like, the student newspaper, but, I mean, it was something completely different, like someone else was publishing my work. So that would be the most memorable moment for me. And if I could just finish on, like, a tip for other people who want to do work experience, I definitely think networking is one of the number one tips on two different levels, really, on a company level and on a social level. So company... When you actually finally get through the door, like make make yourself known, liaise with different departments, talk to people, see if you can get any contacts. And then on a social level, we, t- we spoke about this earlier, so Twitter, LinkedIn, and really get yourself out there. And then you can sort of develop your own sort of personal signature on like the bottom of your emails. And it's just the little things like that. And people will click on those. I mean, I have my blog in my signature and people do click on that blog and they see what it's about and it's just about really getting yourself out there and that's going to be one of my next articles on my diary of a publishing intern blog okay um chris have you got any final parting words of advice any tips for us and nothing in in addition to what's been said i mean the points about networking about organization about getting organized early um and making the most of every opportunity that you get is absolutely crucial and um, i think if you do those things alone you'll have a successful experience to be honest with you Right. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, first impressions are important, and it is particularly so if you're on work experience. You want people to see you are poised, professional, and ready for anything. But what you don't want to do is end up in A and E. Unfortunately, that's what happened to my next guest, Caroline Mortimer. Hello, Caroline. Hello there. What happened? You had a head injury. Um, What's this all about? Well, I didn't actually go to A&E, even oh. though I probably should have done. Um, <laughs> it, was, um, it was January. It was my very first week of work experience ever at a local paper. 
And I came out of the train station and I managed to find the only bit of ice left in York <laughs> to trip up over. And I went flying, fell right onto my back. And I remember as I hit my back hit the floor, I thought, oh, well, Elisa didn't hit my head. And then in the next second, it went crack into the pavement. So, and then luckily I found like these two very nice strangers picked me up and like sort of brushed me down and asked me if I was okay. And they're like, and there was actually a police van just outside. He was like, do you want me to take you to the hospital? And I was like, no, no, I've got to go to work experience. (laughs) (laughs) And so I somehow managed to get to the work experience and I was shaking and I got there and I was just like, I just hit my head. I'm not weird. I promise. And I spent the day working on the on the news desk, writing stories, and I was incredibly slow. And I just remember it around lunchtime, my head was spinning and my eyes were fading in and out of focus. And I remember thinking, I should really go to the hospital. But I didn't, and I just kept going, and I spent the entire week there. Do you know what? I really admire your commitment, but are you okay? Oh, I'm fine now. Yeah. To be honest, it's the kind of thing I do. I'm incredibly clumsy. I mean, on another week of work experience, I managed to twist my ankle on a, on a loose cobble. <laughs> as a fellow clumsy person i actually yeah. feel pain today but um you're actually on work experience this week aren't you how are yeah. things going yeah i mean i'm halfway through like a very short editorial internship at um a what's on magazine in leeds and it's going quite well i mean i'm we're at the at the moment we're at, like right on the deadline so there's not too much time they can spend with me but I've been write, like, writing news pieces for the website and writing features to go in the magazine and like, basically getting around out and about in Leeds, qu- getting quotes and comments from local businesses. And you've not hurt yourself yet? No, I haven't hurt myself. I got lost a few times, but, you know. <laughs> um, so have you got any tips, any advice for other students? Well, I think, you know, importantly, it is don't despair and just keep trying and keep going. And I think also don't worry if you don't go, the first week doesn't go too well. I mean, I didn't make too much of a good impression when I started in January, mainly probably because of the head trauma. But then as I've been going along, as I've been doing internships and more work experience, I've become more confident and I've started to become more like a journalist and, I've beco- and less like just a, a scared student wanting to break into the industry. All right. Well, thanks very much for all your advice, Caroline. Yeah. Good luck for the future. Take care, please. (laughs) All right, then. Thanks very much. Have a good weekend. Bye. All right. Bye. Okay, now it's time for the jobs top 10. Eliza and Ali are going to reveal the chart. Kicking us off at 10, a competitor analyst from Dyson. Next in at nine is a trainee chartered accountant role at Smith & Williamson. While at eight, MI5 is looking for intelligence officers. Lane, Clark and Peacock is looking for a trainee actuary at seven. Capgemini is searching for recruits for its management consulting graduate programme at six. Radio Relations is offering work placements at five. And at four, it's a PR manager for Moet and Chandon via STEP. This week's numero trois is a trainee headhunter from Graduate Fast Track. One from the top of two, the Bromley by Bow Centre is recruiting a project manager. And top of the chart this week is a digital drawing and design office assistant at the National Theatre. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. Wednesday, September 14th is How to Build a Career in Management. 15th of September is Quiz the Film Executives. And the 16th of September is Blogging to Boost Your Career Prospects. Don't forget you can sign up on the careers site to get our newsletter, so you'll get links to all of those in advance if you want. 
That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guests, Steph Lever, Mardi Sharif and Caroline Mortimer and also Chris Ree from the National Council for Work Experience. And of course, the pod regulars, Julian Lindley, Eliza Anyangwe and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by James Crawford. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye. Goodbye.